But we're going to finish up our, our series going through Luke chapter 24, where we've been looking at these three resurrection accounts, and we've been just blown away as a church family together at how Luke, the doctor who's writing his gospel, doesn't leave the shock, the disbelief, the there's no way we're seeing what we're seeing response from the first witnesses to resurrection. We've been saying for now three weeks, no one saw it coming. No one saw a Jewish carpenter who would walk around healing, delivering people from the demonic, preaching and teaching in synagogues and in the streets, spitting in mud and then giving someone a wet willy to heal their eyes. No one saw that this man who was their hoped for Messiah would become the suffering Messiah who would then pour out his life onto death that God would vindicate three days later and raise from the dead bodily and then he would appear to his disciples and say, guys, surprise, it ain't over yet. And we've been looking throughout the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 where the scriptures leave the shock and awe of what resurrection really was all about. And I want you to know God still wants to surprise us today with the power of resurrection. He still wants to break into our lives those dead, crusty things, and he wants to breathe the power of his resurrection spirit so we can be transformed. He still wants to surprise us. Everyone said, amen. So he appeared, well, the angels appeared in the first section, 1 through 12, and then the angels told the women, go back and tell the boys that Jesus is not here, he's alive. And we said in verse 11 that the disciples said, you guys are making no sense. In fact, they said, the story you're telling us is nonsense, verse 11. Verse 12, Peter the apostle, the rockhead, that we like to call him around here. You can read Matthew 16, inside joke, but uh, he, he, he just, the, the scripture says that he was wondering about these things. He wasn't, he didn't believe, he was just, hmm. This is interesting that they're saying that Jesus is alive. And then we walked with the two. Most scholars think it was a husband and wife, Cleopas and his wife, possibly walking the road seven miles from Jerusalem, and Jesus slips in between them. And then he breaks the bread, and it wasn't when he preached the sermon at them that their eyes were open, but when he broke the bread at the shared table, and they're like, whoa, it's Jesus! And then he disappeared. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And now this story, Jesus finally rolls up to his other, his other disciples. Finally, and all doubts are snuffed out. Aren't you glad God gives us grace on our journey of doubt, trying to discover, is he really who he says he is? And so here's the story. It's an amazing story. We're starting in verse 36, and I'll just make some comments along the way. While they were talking about this, the two that came from Emmaus, they saw Jesus, they went back and told the disciples while they were talking about that, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, peace be with you. Uh-oh. Huh. They were startled and terrified. There it is again, the honest shock and awe reality of the resurrection. And they thought they were seeing a ghost. Come on, somebody. This is real stuff right here. He said to them, why are you so frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself, touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in, look at this, I love it. While in their joy, they were disbelieving. <laughs> Come on. 
but still wondering, there they are again, Jesus says, have you anything here to eat? Oh, come on, I could preach on that. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it in their presence. Now, if for any other reason, it's not just because he's the greatest leader of all time or that he's humble or that everywhere he goes, he brings life or that no one teaches like him and then backs up what he teaches or that he has all power over nature or sickness or he can make crooked limbs grow straight or that you just love that Jesus loves to eat. Whatever your reason, he is worthy of our worship. Jesus, all throughout this resurrection account, is eating. Hit pause. Why is this significant? Well, for multiple reasons, because food is amazing. Man, come on, people. Loosen up. That is an amazing amen moment. (laughs) Because food is amazing. Thank you. But here's why, among many reasons, but central is this. Christianity, even though, you know, Hollywood and maybe some spun out novels of what the end times or heaven's all about, Christianity is not a disembodied spiritual religion. It is as real as your flesh and your bone, as the food that you bake over fire and that you take and you smell the aroma from the smoky wood and you eat and you ingest and it gives you energy to go out and do it again. I'm convinced Jesus rolls up on the scene all throughout Luke 24, eating and drinking because we are those who are inheriting a thoroughly biblical redemptive lens through which to view the world. And the redemptive lens is this. It was never about pray a prayer so you can get the out of here and just go hang out and be angels and play harps with the gold thing and then just sing endless songs for millions of years. Boring. Come on, you have, we can be honest. Man, if that's what heaven's about, no thank you. Right? Boring. I mean, especially you have to wear like, you know, the little angel outfit. But Jesus says, give me some bread in the story before, and he breaks it and he eats it. And here he's saying, guys, I'm not a ghost. I am bodily resurrected. I'm not just saying, hey, pray a prayer because I only care about your inside, your invisible self. I care about the world, your human experience, your work, your play, your recreation, your relationships. I want to make all of it brand new. And so he eats the food to show them, guys, your future is bound up inextricably with my future and mine is one of amazing embodiment with the new glorified resurrected body. Guys, he eats to say, I'm going to make everything new. I'm going to start with you. And so he eats the fish. And what is his first word? I love this, that he rolls up and speaks to his disciples. You goofies for hiding and being afraid and not believing. Someone help me. What's he say? Peace be with you. Now, is he pulling one from the 1960s with his two fingers? Can you imagine Jesus? Peace, guys. It can be argued that the predominant theme and vision of God for his world and creation and the nations and every human relationship, for our relationship and orientation to our work, to our uh, families, to the world, our orientation to God, God's vision, especially from the whole Old Testament, is one of 
that the peace of God would permeate and fill and infiltrate and influence everything. And we do, when you think peace, don't just think lack of fill in the blank. Peace is God's vision for his world where there's wholeness and holiness and happiness, where things function as though they were created to function. And so when Jesus rolls up to his boys and he speaks peace, he is speaking the, the oldest agenda from heaven's perspective over the earth, and that is be well with yourself, be well with me, be well with each other. I've come to set things that were at strife, at peace, those things that were crooked, straight, those things that used to suck the life out of you to remove them so that your life is one of perpetual blessing where you experience the vibrancy of life centered around me. He rolls up and he's saying, peace be with you. My agenda to make everything whole and holy and new. Man, I'm starting with you disciples. You guys are going to be my new creation experiment that you're going to go. You're going to see it. You're going to bring that peace, that shalom, that well-being, that vibrant experience of being human, rightly submitted to the Lord Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God to then go bring and make peace, wholeness, and holiness. Jesus is saying, I am the bearer and the bringer of the shalom of God. Ephesians tell us that Jesus came and he preached peace to those who were far and to those who were near. So God's vision, even as he causes his son to rise on the righteous and the unrighteous, Matthew 5, 45 and 6, and he sends the rain on the, the sinners and the, you know, you know, and the, okay, so the, okay, the bad, ugly, okay, yeah, you get it. So he wants to bring peace to the whole thing. He wants everything of creation to function as it was intended to be. And the whole new creation starts right here with the resurrected Jesus who has the glorified body. And he's speaking peace in the midst of a world where there is non-peace. You have to understand that. The, the, the goal of Christianity is not let's go hang out on a holy hill away from the mess of life. It's to get up right in the midst of that thing and to announce heaven's agenda, which is wholeness and peace. Man, this side is really with me. I'm feeling you guys over here too, but we're good. We're not looking to, we're not, we're not. <laughs> We're not looking forward to this disembodied, endless worship service. We are looking forward to reign with God on a new earth where there's no longer thorns infesting the ground, where every tear is wiped away, where M16s are beaten into plowshares, where lions lay down with lambs, and where death and destruction have forever been swallowed up. I got to skip some things because that was a good point. sort of. Praise God. I messed my phone up. We'll just move on and leave that alone. Verse 44, he, 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 after all this, and he eats fish, and everyone's happy. Um, starting with verse 44, he says, guys, this is what I told you while I was with you. Everything has to be fulfilled. It's what's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Verse 45, super important. Then he opened their minds. Say that with me. He opened their minds so that, what? They could understand the scriptures. Oh, my goodness. So if you weren't here with us, you just go look at the podcast. I'm going to skip that whole section because I really unpacked that last week. Let me say this in summary. 
It takes God to know God. That was point number one from last week's message. Christianity is not about striving harder, climbing some philosophical mountain. It is about submitting to the God who can't wait to reveal his son Jesus to you, to those who humbly submit and bow to who he is. Christianity is not like, I just got to like rub the rabbit and I got to figure this out and string these thoughts together. It's about submitting to the one who is the embodied way and truth that leads to life, Jesus Christ. So again, last week, Jesus connects all of the Old Testament. Say that with me. All of the Old Testament. And what he does for his disciples, this is so important. That's why we're people of the word at Cornerstone Church, baby. He gives these disciples their whole Old Testament back, and he says, by the way, here are some new glasses through which to view all of it. It all points to me. So he gives them, he says, the Psalms, the prophets, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. We've talked about it last week. The Hebrew Bible was broken up into three distinct sections, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. And so Jesus is not just saying, here's one or two verses that sort of allude to me. He's saying the whole thing was pointing to the reality through which I am bringing to bear on the earth. He opened. Uh, You look up the scripture. It is opening that which was once closed. How many know that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers? So we need someone to open our minds. And it's not some guru. It's the king of the universe who wants to come to open our minds and our hearts to receive and to see him for who he really is. Someone say amen. amen. Listen. This is why all we've done almost exclusively for a year is try to become a church that cries out through intercessory prayer to the Lord. Listen, if I can't open your mind, there's only one who can. And so we partner with God. Listen, I know we're excited because I am too. And I got goosebumps. It's good. I want to read what I wrote because I want you to hear this from your pastor. This is why everything in the kingdom is to be done both prayerfully and expectantly. That God has gone before us and he's already working on people, nations, situations long before we ever showed up. But by interceding, we participate in the all-important work of preparation. Let me say that again. By interceding, we actually participate with God in the important work of preparation. How many know God is always, John chapter 4, 34, he's sending us into fields where someone else did the hard work before us. And he's waiting for someone to go in to reap that harvest. And simultaneously, maybe you're not in a season of reaping right now, but he's going to send you to a hard field to till up that ground so someone behind you can reap the harvest. The joy is whatever the Lord's showing you to do is you do it with all your might. Whether you're in a season where you're tilling and you're breaking up hard ground, you're saying, I'm not going to quit until his glory comes. Or you roll up and, man, you're just like, why all this favor? People are coming to Christ. The point is it wasn't about you on either scenario. The only one that counts is the one who makes it grow. But we do our parts with joyful hearts. Hallelujah. I like that. Therefore, listen, in summary, when anyone awakens to the gospel... When anyone awakens to the scriptures, it is always God behind the thing working. You hear me? That's why we pray. That's why we worship and we pray, because we intercede that he would do it. But we're interceding to the one, 2 Peter 3, 9, who doesn't want anyone to perish. We don't come on Wednesday nights or women on Monday morning or Tuesday on Monday, uh, men on Tuesday morning. We don't sit there and say, Lord, we want to twist your arms so that your kingdom would come. Can you hear us? No, we come and we lay our lives down before him. 
And we say, Lord, you can do what you want in and through me. I submit to you. But we pray on the balls of our feet around here. Because we know that he can't wait to respond and to bring the breakthrough that only he can bring. Come on, somebody. Every time someone awakens to the Gospels or has insight into the Scriptures or sees Jesus for the first time, it was a work of God's Spirit behind the thing. Whew. And then he told them this. Verse 30, 40, wherever we're at. 46. I love this. His word is alive. Amen. He said, this is what is written. And right here he gives the boys and girls who are there. He gives them a shorthand for what they're going to go and preach in all the nations. This is how Jesus summarizes the simplicity in sort of a three-line framework on which they can hang their entire gospel, their entire message. How many know those things are helpful when God gives us those little things that anyone can remember if you spend a second with it? And so this is what he says right here. He says, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Are you ready? I'm going to do just a little bit of work here with you. Come on, Patricia. Are you ready? Yeah, that's what I thought. You're always ready. Let's go, girl. The Messiah, what's Messiah? Just some word they reached for to try to brand Jesus. No, it's king. So Jesus is saying, central to the message you are going to announce to the nations is that the world has one king and his name is Jesus. It's me. Central to the message of Christianity, the gospel, is not that God was a decent guy and he fell into some hard times and some sinful hand. No, it's that the king came and what? Not ruled from a throne, but hung on a cross who became his earthly throne through which he suffered. So the king, the Messiah, will suffer. So what separates Christianity is not the, like every other deity or God that stays away from the mess and the muck of humanity. He goes up in the thing and allows it to have its best swing at him. So the Messiah, or the king of heaven and earth, will suffer. So it's about the king and it's about the cross. Someone say it's about the cross. So our message is about a king and a cross, but how many know he didn't stay on the cross? It's about he rose. Look at this. It's for shorthand. He rose from the dead. So it's about a king and it's about a cross and it's about an empty grave. It's about resurrection, about triumph over death. And on the third day, which is to say this is a historical event. It wasn't some made-up spiritual thing. It was when God in Christ broke in at the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4. At just the right time, he sent his son born of a woman under the law to redeem those who were held under its power and under the sway of death so that through him we could be liberated and experience life to the full. So Christianity, he tells them, he tells the guys who are going to become his witnesses and gals, it's about a Messiah, it's about a king, it's about a cross who suffered, and it's about resurrection, rose from the dead in history. And then he says, when you announce that, inevitably something's going to happen to the listener. If he's king and he was willing to suffer and he overcame death, the thing that every nation fears I probably ought to get into alignment with his kingdom. Repentance, Hal's going to talk about it all week. Repentance, he defines as changing kings. 
acknowledging he is and you're not, and we joyfully submit to his lordship. And as we do that, we receive forgiveness of sins. Come on, somebody. Amen. And they preached in his name, the name that was vindicated. He was shown to be Jesus, the son of David, not just by dying. Many righteous people died throughout generations, but only one rose up and walked out of the grave and ate fish. Amen. And then he says, to all nations. Here's what this means. God's intended future, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 66. God's intended future when the nations would bow before him is now breaking into the present through this little band of disciples who are going to go out and preach a crucified, resurrected Messiah. And that through his name, now it's no longer just for a select few, the reality of forgiveness and renewal and transformation is now a global possibility and reality through Jesus Christ. God's new creation future by the resurrection broke into the present, and now all of us get to live in light of the glorious future and announce that it's breaking into the now. It's breaking into the now. Okay, all this, I'm going to skip all that because we got one more thing to say. Don't even think about going to do this in your own strength. I'm going to get sassy. It's not about memorizing, okay, the Messiah will suffer on the third day, and then he rose in history, and okay, cool, Chad. No, 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 no. You've got to be clothed with power. But we serve a father who sent his son to show us what humanity was supposed to look like all along. And the son became like us, that now through the spirit we could become like him. Powerful. He says, go and wait in the city. Because you, when you go to the city and you get into accord, one accord and into agreement, I'm going to pour out my spirit of power. You're not even going to be able to help yourself. You're going to have to bear witness to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the spirit that God gave us is not a spirit of cowardice. Come on, somebody. But it's a, pow- a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. Jesus goes on in verse 50. He leads them out. He lifts up his hand. His first word to the disciples who were scared was peace. His last word was blessing. Do we serve a good God or what? Peace. Peace. And as he's ascending and taking his place of intercession at the right hand of the Father, for you and I to have Christ fully formed in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and as we go and mediate his presence to the world, to the nations of the earth, he is interceding and praying for us, but his last word to humanity was blessing. Bless you guys as you wait. I'm going to send the Spirit. I have to ascend so that the Father and I, Acts 2.33, can take the Spirit and throw him down on the world. And you can be clothed with power. You can go and be my witnesses, not in your own strength, but clothed in my power and in my strength. Everyone said amen. And obviously they worshiped him. What else are you going to do? I'm going to end with this verse. I'm going to have Ivy come here in a sec. As he ascended, and he's blessing the world, and he's blessing his disciples. Hebrews 7, so good. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him. 
How many need to be saved completely? (laughs) Why? Why can he do this? Because Jesus himself lives to intercede for them, for us. So Jesus, where's the fish at? Okay, here's your Hebrew Bible. Read it in light of me. He gives them the little threefold. Here's what the gospel is. He blesses them, tells them to wait for the spirit, and now he's interceding for his church to live in light of all that he's made available to us. So the nations of the earth bow and acknowledge that there is one king of the world, and his name is Jesus. Father, we just thank you for your word. You're amazing. I thank you um, for Ivy as she comes and just what she's going to impart. I pray that you would move in our hearts, open our hearts for your global heart, Lord. They said that this gospel would be preached to the nations of the earth. Lord, start it here. Do it. We want to join your heart in Jesus' name. Amen.